You're listening to the 405 Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grimpier, and today's episode is with Loha. She's a musician from Ireland, as well as hailing from Sierra Leone, and she makes music like no other. You tend to hear that a lot, but then you hear someone like Loha, and then you're reminded that, oh wait, sometimes that very much tends to be true. She was in New York a couple weeks back to perform at the Crack Festival. Yes, you heard that right. That's Irish slang for Americans who might not know the term. And um, yeah, we got to catch up. It was one of those things where um, I never met her before. And um, I was very keen to talk to her and hear about her story. Uh, For listeners of the show, they'll already know that Ireland's a very big part of my life and has been for my entire adult life. So getting to talk to her about her time there and what it was like to create art was very, very massive. And, you know, I could go on and on about what a lovely, talented, sweet soul she is, but it's one of those things where I think it'll all showcase and reveal itself in the talk itself. So let's just go into the talk. This is the 405 Exchange with Loha. Enjoy. So it's really interesting where you come from in regards to Ireland and Sierra Leone, uh, especially with both cultures being so immersed in music. And, you know, it's funny, like when I meet acts for the first time, one of my favorite questions to ask right away is like, when did music enter your life? Mm-hmm. What's really interesting with getting to talk to you is and being familiar with both of those cultures myself is like, you really didn't have much of a choice, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I know I got not not a hope of getting out of it. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I mean my parents both love music so they had me in singing lessons and playing the violin when I was about 4. Um yeah. and um it's re- really driven by my mom. She we traveled a lot when we when I was a kid and we lived all over. Um, and then I did my schooling in Maynooth in Kildare um, sure. in Ireland. But yeah, I did like fiddle lessons, I, like violin, classical violin, you know, Irish fiddle, like tin whistle, piano, yeah. guitar, like everything. And she drove us all to all these classes just for the love of it because she just loved hearing us do it. And my dad was always very supportive as well. And then when we moved um, to West Africa when I was in my teens, my mum actually shipped out um, a digital piano to make yeah. sure that I could still play you ended up moving to africa in your teens from ireland yeah i mean obviously you know african culture some of you are probably familiar with in regards to your family but what was it like for you to go to a place like ireland to africa like as a teenager yeah it was a huge culture shock i was 12 so personally i wouldn't recommend it (laughs) 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 um don't do it (laughs) no but um it was like i was I'm very much culturally Irish. Like I did those first years of my life really in Ireland, my first year of schooling. And that I think that those are formative in a certain way because it's the culture that is most natural to you and you don't need any you don't need any pointers as to, yeah. to understand you. It's just all a part of you. Yeah. Um, it's almost like seeped into the makeup of your brain. So that's where I feel the most at home. But then the thing is, you know, we, we, myself and my siblings, we are mixed race and we were never really made to feel different growing up, but we, that was, we grew up in a fairly homogenous Ireland. So it was important as I suppose our parents realized, look, these kids are, they're black and we need them. We'd like them to know where they're from as well. And that side of themselves. And, um, 
so yeah meeting like i've met some of my family that i'd never met before yeah. and learned like tr you know we went to school there so i got to be a part of the culture a part of the customs it's still not as as maybe natural to me as ireland is you know really? like yeah like moving at 12 it was in gambia first and then sierra leone where my dad's from mm -hmm. a couple of years there so like i very much feel it as home mm -hmm. but i think there i will always i yeah i'm still and there's still a little touch of it that sometimes is is i need i need like pointers or like i have to ask my family like what's going on <laughs> you know yeah. which is interesting um because i'm very much a part of it and i speak the language but it's still um a place that i moved to that bit later yeah mm. going back a little bit to when you were talking about these musical lessons that your mom was yeah. putting on to what's really interesting to me is like I think I'm used to hearing about kids being intuitively kind of rebellious and I imagine you were rebellious in some sense, but like when you were a kid and you were going to these lessons, were you finding yourself like enjoying them and wanting to like do well in them? Like reacting to them in that way? <laughs> Interesting question. Um, I think I liked the singing, but no, I really, I really struggle with the violin because it's hard it to is, play the like, violin. And you have to commit. You really do. And I just committed out of, like, I, I wasn't rebellious enough, which is probably a good thing ultimately, but like if sometimes i would get nowhere and i was even a perfectionist even then and like yeah. really really driven to six to succeed at things um and i couldn't the, the violin was just so hard and i remember once i whacked my bow off the wall because i was so angry how old were you i was eight Holy and it, shit. it broke and i felt <laughs> so terrible because i knew my mom struggled for money and i just started crying i was like i'm sorry and she did she wasn't even mad you know when no. your parents she was so she, I think she was just so upset that I got so upset oh. and it was we were all just very upset I'll never forget the feeling when it broke I just like something in my heart broke with it and I was like I need to be less ungrateful <laughs> I need to be more grateful <laughs> uh, I know I had this question primmed up in my head to ask you in regards to just generally performing but since you've been performing for you know since you were young I kind of want to center this around like you know you in regards to your current project now do you remember what your first show was like as Loha in regards to what you're doing now? Um, I do actually, yeah. So because I've I've performed in many different scenarios, um, and I had a band in college called Jazzberries, and um, you know I've done loads of orchestra stuff. So Loha came as a very specific idea for like, I, okay, I want to have a project that with uh, that I put my work out under, and. I'm going to leave myself quite open to genre and sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, so yeah, I did this little gig in a bookshop in Dublin called Lilliput Press. Yeah. And it was only 20 minutes and it, my sister was singing with me and Johnny was playing piano and Patty on guitar. It was a really small setup. Yeah. And one of the pieces I performed was um, uh, some poetry that I'd written while I was staying in New York for a couple yeah. of months. Um, and it was really fun and I kind of, it was very intimate because it was in a bookshop so I got to tell stories and it really stands out in my head as one of the most amazing gigs. Really? Yeah. Why do you think it was made amazing for you? Um, it, you know that feeling, that new project feeling um, where everything's possible yeah. and you're really there at that moment just for the work yeah. and it's, your intentions are so pure and you just want to express and you just want to feel and yeah. you want other people for, to have the same experience and it was really weird that gig because in up in the middle of the bailey one of my songs a book 
fell off the shelf. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It was really, like, freaky. Yeah, yeah. And we, we everyone was like, whoa, this is this kind of a weird electricity in the air. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was magic. You know, so tell me this. I mean, obviously, music's been at the epic center of your life in a multitude of ways, and especially with, like, you know, lessons and performing and even with this current project doing now. And you mentioned, like, the jazz barriers, that project you used to have. But tell me about this. So, like, when music is such a fixture in your life in that way, does it become a conscious choice to pursue it or to have it be the center of your life? Is that something you do have to think about in regards to how you live a life? Hmm. Yeah, yes, yes. Um, and I did make that choice because I studied pharmacy. So um, I did that all the way through college and I trained fully because I'm registered oh, chemist. Wow. <laughs> if, oh. don't mi- if you don't mind. Well, isn't that huge? That's yeah. incredible. <laughs> well, no, not unlike yourself. He's a man of many talents. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> you know, so it takes one to know one. Yeah. But um, and so, but I, I, when I started the degree, I, I tried to leave in first year because I had a feeling I wasn't really maybe in the right place. Yeah. I probably should be pursuing art. But even though music had been such a part of my life, I never really saw it as a possibility for a career because neither of my parents are working artists. They're yeah. very practical. They both, you know, do work in fundraising, conservation, like charity stuff. So, um. I was like, I, that didn't even occur to me. It was there at the back of my mind as a dream, but I yeah. didn't think it was particularly plausible. And then only when I was in college and I was doing, had the band mm-hmm. and I was meeting musicians, people who were training to be professional musicians, I was like, oh, wait, hang on now. Hang on, there's not that much of a difference between me and them. <laughs> and yeah. like, suddenly all the walls started breaking down a little bit. So by the end of college, I pretty much knew that I wanted to do it, but I couldn't really see the path. I couldn't plot the, the steps yet. Um, so I finished my degree and I worked for a while um, yeah. and I loved working. It was a form of success in a way, mm. but I started feeling so empty. I was like, and it was getting really dangerous for my mental health. Cause you know, artists who don't make art are, are kind of a bit of a, they shouldn't be allowed around people. No, they're they're, really just, they're yeah. just generally very upset. I'm yeah. upset. <laughs> no, I've experienced like a variant of that. Like I've worked in like uh, varying degrees of different types of setups. And a couple of years back, I've worked in a corporate office. And it was one of those things where on paper it was very successful in the yeah. way my life was. But it was one of those things where like I had to kind of like consciously focus on that and not focus on creating. And it was one of those things where it does drain you, especially if it's like, you have the setup of like going to work and going home yeah it's just a very robotic and like it's it feels weird saying it's a rough way to live but when you're someone who needs to like feed off creativity it is a rough way to live mm. yeah there's definitely um there is that sense of purpose then suddenly you you just go like why can't i just be happy where i am i don't understand and you sort of just have to accept the calling and just be a bit practical about it and go okay yeah. look I've learned some really helpful skills in this environment about like professionalism and oh. showing up on time deadlines and now I need to apply those to the the business of crafting yeah. and the fourth dimension of my imagination. Yeah. <laughs> well, you said something beautiful a couple of minutes ago in regards to like meeting other musicians and it kind of made me think about something that I've been thinking about lately. So one of the things I used to do was work on production sets mm-hmm. like TV commercials and things like that. And something that I've been thinking about is how within that world, that production world, there's a lot of practicality. There's a lot of jobs that are very like, you know, for lack of better phrasing, working people type of jobs Mm -hmm. within those worlds. And Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting is that when you're a kid and going to school, 
you're not really taught that those practicalities exist. And I feel like this is also the case in music. Because as, as I've toured and worked in venues and worked with different bands, seeing that there has to be a sound man, seeing there has to be people who load in, people who are session musicians, like there's actually a lot of practical avenues you could have as a life as a musician. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Yeah, totally. I so agree with you. I think there isn't enough visibility of the wider structures that happen around art, the arts, and art administration is a huge part of, of the arts, and arts don't happen without the administration. Yeah. So um, I think you know being able to see that it's important for young people to know like there you could do um business business management for artists or you know even my lawyer he's an entertainment lawyer essentially you know yeah. and he was in a band a really great band that were coming up around the time of you too and he he decided it wasn't for him went back and studied law and he's a great lawyer That's and amazing. you know and he still he just made an album so <laughs> like why i yeah there need, there probably needs to be a wider sense of not everyone needs to be in front of the stage but we all love this this world and we can all be a part of it yeah. yeah and i think that'll definitely make it much better for parents and their kids oh my god that so communication. yeah exactly <laughs> like don't worry mum i'll still be in an office <laughs> doing nine to five yeah. i'll just be reading you know madonna's emails <laughs> <laughs> so i came across your music by seeing a performance you did for other music um they're an amazing organization it felt like and, you know, watching you performing in that space, I felt like something I grabbed from you is that you very much thrive within spaces like that. Spaces where being creative is, like, the utmost importance within the space itself. Tell me how important it is for you to have those spaces where art is very much at the center. Yes. Um, yeah, that's, that's very important. I suppose because I came into it from a different avenue, um, as in I worked you know, I worked in, a, in an office, a dispensary, a kind of quite careful clinical controlled environment. Um, it didn't happen for me overnight that I could just access my creativity at will on tap. Oh. Um, it took a while for me to take ownership of it mm. and accept and feel even deserving of it because I do have that sort of practical um, working class mentality of like, what are you doing? This is madness. You know, this isn't real or something and I really had a lot of work to do to overcome that um, that attitude towards myself and, and the decision that I'd taken and I felt like I needed to earn the right to make work yeah. so a lot of those early shows and even now with gigs like that I tend to really warm towards spaces and venues where it's really about nurturing the spirit of art and the work because I need that as much as yeah. they're nurturing it. I need it to feel safe myself. And I'm coming out of that, you know, it's been a couple of years and I'm I'm much better at just allowing myself to be um, and to, to, to kind of fail and, yeah. and make mistakes to learn and develop and grow. Um, but definitely I was, re I would be very selective about shows that I do. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting to hear you say that, particularly the aspect of like the self-awareness that you had, that you had to kind of grow past that. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that's something you recognized within yourself or that someone close to you kind of put a mirror up or like let you, made, made you aware of in a certain way? Um, I was very aware of it in myself. Um, yeah, yeah uh, like it was, it was really inundated with a lot of self-doubting thoughts and um, a lot of confidence issues. So I, all the while, I mean, 
there in fact when I was sort of starting there was only one or two people my, my boyfriend at the time that I and a couple of other people that I even felt I could talk to about these things because I was almost really ashamed to be feeling like this it was like it's kind of an yeah. imposter syndrome uh, but I'm going out and showing up on stage and being like I'm I just I'm here so yeah. I sort of felt almost rude thinking these because I was like I can't let them know that I don't think I'm real like a real artist um which now I just feel very a lot of empathy towards my younger self for for putting myself through that you know but um definitely I was really aware of how how kind of negative and how many mental blocks I had so I really just set about dismantling them one by one and it was there was no mystery to how I went about it it was counseling and all the all the tools that are available to artists and and you know people to kind of overcome the, their inner challenges and and it became it's interesting because it became a wider political discussion amongst me and my friends the more comfortable I got talking about these issues the more and um, especially among women and sisterhood because yeah. we'd all, all end up being like maybe this isn't just me maybe this is also partly a structural problem yeah. about having an imposter syndrome as a woman in a business space and or maybe it's about being a person of color or maybe it's about not being you know being western or maybe and the, the discussion became a lot wider so in a way i'm sort of grateful for those challenges because they made me go deeper into other aspects of society and wider life that has been really helpful that's beautiful because you know like i think it's more common than not for people to look at their struggles and feel negative towards them even when they get past them so the fact that you could see where you are now and see that that was a vital part of it that's a really mm -hmm. beautiful thing yeah it's I suppose when you do feel better too you really feel like you've earned it you know yeah. it's, it's kind of nice you're you don't have the bliss of ignorance <laughs> you yeah. know how bad it can get so you're like very grateful for feeling good and feeling inspired and motivated so yeah I just I feel like sometimes I don't even have enough hours in the day these days to get everything <laughs> down that I want to do and I'm just so happy for, for it to be in that space well that's massive you know your debuted um, EP This Heart it encapsulated so much and felt like a proper body of work. It's a big thing to do on a EP because I know from different artists I've been around, there is that idea that like an EP can't feel contained that some people have, but mm. I feel like you really did achieve that with that. Wow. Like you made a body of work. Thank you. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Uh, I know it's important for artists to feel like releases reflect who they are and that it could be difficult to achieve that. So with so much time that's passed, how do you feel about that EP now? I feel like it reflects who you are, but as you as the person who made it, what do you feel about it? Interesting. Um, yeah, I, wow, I guess I, f I feel that it, it does reflect certainly that the time and the struggles that led up to that. The, it's in, the songs on that EP are, um, are all very sort of, come from ver have very layered and profound in terms of what they take from. Um, they're, they're all referencing different genres. And there's several languages on there. There's there's references to classical music, you know, West African music, folk, Saharan blues, soul, and you know, it's just it's all there. And I try, I I kind of threw everything at the wall, yeah. and because I wanted, I think part maybe I wanted to make a statement that was almost like unclear, so that whatever I do after this makes sense, <laughs> you yeah. know, because like I wanted to like make a statement that gives still gives me the freedom to go in any direction, and I think I probably did achieve that. And um, there are aspects of it that I, I'm uncomfortable with, of course, and um, and maybe in ten years I'll I'll have let those go. But <laughs> yeah. um, we're still now. I'm maybe not far enough away from it not to see 
the the pitfalls and where I could have improved and even just the process of how I made it I was really really suffocated myself sometimes trying to be perfect um and I don't know if that made it better or worse I don't know if, if that was a necessary part of it but it was necessary for me to learn so I understand that now and um and and I think it was really nice because at the end of, of last year of 2018 I got um, a bunch of different Irish producers to do remixes of all of the songs on the EP yeah. so my sister did one and she did a remix for this heart and it's absolutely banging it's yeah. so good it's like it got a garage beat and it's really industrial oh, that's wicked. Um, it's really wicked and then I got some really good friends some of the lads from Melty Brains or and I got uh, God knows who's a rapper from Rosangano he took he took a, a one of the interlude which was like a one and a half minute thing into a completely amazing narrative and really personal narrative so that was really exciting and the, the the remix of the last song nothing by elaine may has taken off on irish radio which is like yeah. really interesting because i didn't i wasn't necessarily a radio friendly it wasn't a radio friendly ep but yeah. that remix has become something else and that was really lovely i think that changed my whole perspective on the on the ep whatever yeah. issues i felt were unresolved kind of resolved themselves uh, what, in what way? Explain that a bit more. Yeah, that, that, that's sort of a... So I suppose, for example, I feel that, um, say, Unveiled is a, is a very bare song with just guitar and voice. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the way I perform it live. Mm-hmm. But I feel that perhaps um, in terms of instrumentation, I could have taken... I could have gone further. I could, yeah. I, it would have been okay for me to do that. Um, then nothing the song nothing that Elaine remixed um, I also feel I could have had more um, production value like mm-hmm. beats and stuff so yeah. it's all really practical technical stuff on, on in terms of sound that might have improved the songs yeah. um, but then when I heard back the remixes and how people were able to respond to them as a result of how bare or how full they were yeah. and turn them into something that I was just like this is so dope i was like well maybe it was perfect to leave it open like that you know that's really interesting to hear and like i mean my next question is gonna be super obvious but i would love to kind of go into it a bit more when you have an experience like that with elaine uh remixing nothing and having it taking off the way it does does it make you see the song in a different light i mean in what way does it um well i think with that one it sort of feels like nothing is my baby that I always knew was a banger yeah. <laughs> I was like when at gigs I always do it last at gigs mm-hmm. because it's a very it's about um, it's the character of the, you know a woman who has ended a relationship that she's in and feels empty and, and worthless and I know so many of my female friends and male friends too uh, of, you know everyone who you come out of a relationship and you feel like you've lost half of yourself and you're yeah. like a half formed thing and it's such it, relationship ends endings are such a part of grief in our society and yeah. we really haven't um, we, we have the breakup songs and we have that but I, do, I really don't think we've tackled them for the kind of grieving process that they are and we 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 talk about these narratives like oh forget him he's not good enough for you and (laughs) we also make people hate their exes and that's a really dangerous idea because why should you teach your friends to hate the choices they've made and be ashamed of them and i find that to be very toxic as well so our whole conversation around um successive monogamy and which is a big part of the way we now 
are as couples you know people don't get married as early and and stuff like that um so I was exploring all these ideas about what it means to feel like empty after leaving someone and attaching your identity to them but also make and feeling like just that worthlessness and the your ego is destroyed I mean you're yeah. just especially if you are in a situation where you perceive where you perceive that your ex just now has a much better life which everyone does at some point you know yeah. you, you go stalk them and you're like look at them they're having such a good time without me yeah. and you kind of extrapolate that to where you see your how you see yourself and then but the thought that came after in the further digging was um because I was in a gospel choir and I wrote that song oh wow discovery gospel choir yeah. yeah and we so i was singing all this beautiful gospel music really powerful uplifting mm-hmm. um music of praise and a lot you know so much of it is about turning pain into this joyful celebration um and rebirthing all the time yeah. um, and so the chorus is supposed to be this kind of uplifting gospel chorus like you know what maybe i am nothing in and let's face it in the context of the cosmos pretty insignificant so yeah. maybe i should be okay with very nothing. Point. you know like i'm pretty small <laughs> and um then when you when you accept that insignificance and that dissolution mm-hmm. of any ideas of yourself as being important you're kind of free for you the are. first time and you're like hang on i'm free i don't i'm nothing like i can create this as i want to as i want to yeah um i'm not bound to anything or any ideas or anyone this is maybe a, a, a gift. So the, the kind of musical structure follows that. And, you know, I go up the octave for the chorus and it's all song, like loads of vocal harmonies and stuff. And then there's a key change at the end. There <laughs> is. And I, I kind of do want to ask you a little bit more about nothing because um, I'm really keen to hear about whether or not your vocals on the track were directed by the attitude of the lyrics or if it was vice versa. Because I feel like there's this innate sense of conviction within the song. And I wonder how intentional it is. You kind of shed light on that a bit, but I'd love to hear that in regards to the vocal. Yeah, um, technically my um, engineer, Ken, who was working, who, who recorded all those vocals, we did so many takes, oh my God. Um, he calls like verse two of that, the, or verse three, the Khaleesi verse. Yeah, <laughs> you got all of that. Yeah, it was so, he, he says all the right things. Um, because there was like it's interesting because it's a dichotomy that song it's about feeling like crap I mean I'm mm-hmm. I can't even really describe it. it's like being at the bottom of a swimming pool and not mm-hmm. being able to swim up to the top mm-hmm. but I wanted to sing it from the perspective I was almost reaching forward into the f- it was like in, written in a moment of clarity of what the future could look like yeah, if yeah. I was to accept this emotion of nothingness of yeah. sort of um, feeling empty and so I wanted to write it from from the point of view of a self who has developed past this point yeah. so that I can look back when I'm singing it and even in the singing of the song take myself to that place quite quite forcefully like take my own hand mm-hmm. so it was a, kind of an act of therapy or hypno- self-hypnosis or something in a way yeah. being like you know let's just um, yeah so there was a, I did a couple of different versions where I tried it more chilled and then um, but I sort of, I, funnily enough, I kind of had Jay-Z in mind. When really? I, was singing that song. I know that's a really left of field. That's interesting. Um, thing, but when I, yeah, when I was singing the verses, I just would think of Jay-Z. And I, I, yeah. I would, yeah, that's how I made it work. That's really fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. Tell me this, because um, I really fucking love the video that you put together for Keep Your Heart. Uh, and, um, you know, that there has so much truth in it within that song. It is kind of like how that goes together. 
talk to me about how the collaboration of this came together because I thought that was really cool. Okay, great. So that Keep Your Heart is one of the remixes, right? Yeah. So it's the so Bantam is a producer from Cork in the southwest of Ireland that I'm is a great friend of mine and we're actually working on a record at the moment, which is really exciting. Oh, wow. Um, well, it's like a mixtape. You know the way yeah. it, with these days, you don't want to say anything. You just leave it. Just make the songs and yeah, decide what the, they are afterwards. <laughs> yeah. um, but he, I was saying, I said to him, look, I'm doing this remix EP. You know, you're obviously one of my my favorite producers do you want to pick one and, and remix it and yeah. he was like oh my god give me that interlude and the interlude is called this heart interlude and it is the demo the original demo of this heart made on garage band on my laptop with um the percussion is me slapping my table and clicking my fingers mm. and pouring water from like one glass into a bowl or something yeah. there's this like sound which is yeah, literally yeah. me pouring and um i just sang um, this line from Gregorio Allegri's Miserere, 16th century, beautiful 16th century piece. I just sang that over and over again because um, it's like a setting of Psalm 51. So it sort of ties in with the, the with nothing because it's like this jubilant um, um, transformation of pain. So the interlude is like where the EP kind of started, I suppose, because it's the, the you know, the demo. Oh. And then um, Ken put a really cool beat on it and my drummer Andre played played this like really sick backbeat so Rory was like okay I'm gonna take the interlude remix it uh, like uh, do some cool synthy stuff grand and so he did and then he was talking to God knows at the time about another project and he was like yo gee like actually I have this beat that I'm doing for Loa do you want to have a listen to it and he was like oh my god give me that I have (laughs) the perfect narrative I have this thing that I've been sitting on for ages like please let me let me jump on this so um he did and it's this stunning story about you know a really really close friend of his and then they're come up as teenagers and how like his friend would like would literally like fight people for him to protect him because you know his friend it's about race a bit his friend's white his and you know geez like his african heritage so there, there were all these crazy situations that they found themselves in just that friendship and that bond and how yeah. they've gone on different paths but he always thinks about him and it's a really like beautiful story about like um kind of a male friendship and and what that means and how that translates yeah. and I, it was so moving so i was like okay i'm gonna harmonize now <laughs> yeah. let me get let me jump back on the track <laughs> so and we um he recorded it in a friend of ours studio in dublin so yeah. it was kind of like cork limerick dublin and then the friend ben we were in the studio. I was like, Ben, why don't you, do, you're a crazy producer. Why don't you just throw something at this? And he was like, okay. And it just got so out of hand. <laughs> it was amazing. It was brilliant. And then Dunny was in the, another friend of ours was play, play some keys. Yeah. And it just turned into this really beautiful group um, thing, which is, I'm all about that work. You know, it's really interesting. Like hearing the story of that song. I mean, God, it blows me away to think that there could be so many different, like, perspectives and hands within a song yet the song itself doesn't sound overdone at all does that surprise you as an artist when Mm. that's even possible yes always because when i sometimes when i hear for example like really really delicious pop or or like really slick stuff like that i'm like how are there so many names involved because this does not this is one vibe and there's 18 people like what's going on and it's just one of those things that some pieces of work just need many hands and others don't and i honestly don't feel like there's any like guidebook you can follow or recipe 
it's just what feels right and at the time it felt right to do the next step and then the next step and then the next step and it kept feeling right mm -hmm. and I did I, I was sort of overseeing the project so I did send back some notes to the guys and just because I had to bear in mind the rest of the EP of course because I we yeah. put it out as, as a compilation you know mm -hmm. so I was like can we just pull back this that and the other but overall it was just like such an effortless process um, yeah. and everyone was seemed to be just on board with it that's awesome like and I imagine like the effortless aspect of that kind of reminds you of like what you love about create creating in the first place yes oh. totally it's this lovely group effort where everyone's bouncing off each other and bouncing ideas and i think a lot of the issues that i had early in in this project with insecurity was also because i put a lot of pressure on myself to do everything and to be everything and to be kind of the the lenny kravitz shall we say like playing the drums and playing the name thing and doing drop, the thing name drop, drop. like he's Pretty my cool g though. i love him so much i love you lenny <laughs> but um, yeah you know, <laughs> like, no pressure right <laughs> um yeah if i wish <laughs> in my next life i'll be lenny kravitz so. <laughs> but, um but yeah it just then I was like, you know, I actually love working in a team and I get on and I do better when I'm around other people because I'm kind of extroverted. And yeah. that's what extroversion is. It's it's getting energy from other others, yeah. you know, and that's where I sort of am able to shine. Like I do need to go away and be in solitude and start like br and birth new ideas. But then I like to take them to people and buzz yeah. off others. So that again, the process of the EP just made everything a lot more fun. Yeah. And and like from that good juicy fun comes like really great stuff, you know. That's the back of that. Um you know, something I was keen to talk to you about. I mean we talked about Ireland before we hit the recorder and we're like DMing a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um you know Ireland is a place that I love. I consider it like a second home. Mm -hmm. And I've known many musicians from Ireland over the years. I've been fortunate to and mm -hmm. um we talked about this very briefly like before I hit the recorder but I can honestly say I haven't come across a musician like you before from Ireland. <laughs> Is that something you've heard other people say? Is that something that people have pointed out in an interesting way at all? Oh, definitely. I'm yeah. like a unicorn. <laughs> Am I even real? How does it feel being a unicorn? How has it been playing shows and growing a career in Ireland where that's been the case? I, that's something I'm kind of curious about. Yeah. Well, I think I'm really lucky because I'm, I've just come into it at the right time. So Ireland at the moment is... It's, it's ready for like a refreshing of its own narrative. And I've studied this and I, I've been, I've looked at Irish nationalism a bit and the, the kind of birth of our nation. Cause you know, we have, we have a crazy history and of oppression and all of that. And the 20th century saw, okay, let's make a new Ireland and let's decide what we are. And we're going to label it and put boxes on what it means to be Irish. And yeah. that was, very, I think that was a challenging, but it was also maybe necessary given what had come before yeah. that there was this, you know, right, this is who we are for, let's give this 100 years and see how we get on. Yeah. And in, 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 you know, 2016, we had the centenary celebrations of the Easter Rising. And at the, there's, in the last few years, there's been a lot of immigration into Ireland, a lot by Irish standards. And, you know, given that Ireland's a country that usually people leave. And to have arrivals who, who are also very visually noticeable shall we say um is is a new phase in modern irish history as we know it so i we're living through this time of like quite rapid transformation and so there's like a curiosity and an interest of like okay well what what is our what's ireland going to look like in the future we've had this century of a certain 
kind of development and now what what do we want to make what do we want to create and how are we going to tell this narrative to ourselves are we going to say we're being invaded and we don't want them here or people here we don't want people who don't look like us are we going to say this is really cool and look this is a modern updated version and subject to globalism and Ryanair and like everything how do we want to tell this story and when I was a teenager in my late teens I I decided that I wanted to stay in Ireland and be a part of this conversation like before I even knew what I was sort of promising myself I remember thinking the opportunity to go to university in the UK came up and I actually said no because it's like I want to be in Ireland when this conversation is taking place because I I kind of felt like I understood my my potential the potential for um what I could offer yeah. um, as artistically and sometimes that can be problematic because I worry about falling into a tokenistic trap um, which is you know for many people of colour is a real issue um, but at the same time as long as I feel like as long as I'm really really consistently doing things for for the right reasons making art because it just feels really natural for me to make that sure. I'll be fine like that you know as long as I'm good with me and I feel honest, I'll be okay. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, st- I was like, I'm gonna start my career at home because I want, I'm Irish and this is also what Ireland is. And, and I can say that every, it's gone so well. I, I was, I've been overwhelmed by how much people seem to get it. Like Cortege, which is fully in Shabro, is like the song that people like the most at my gigs. Like, yeah. that's crazy. It, it, it brings me to tears sometimes and because I just I'm uh, the level of warmth and understanding and openness that Ireland has to itself seeing itself reflected back in someone that's like also got this other you know part of them because frankly we're a nation of emigres so uh, we know we've we've done we've, we're all over the world like Ireland has its imprints everywhere yeah. and I think it's ready for the reverse to happen <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was really something else, man. But I have to say, like, because something that, like, really struck me with everything you were just saying is that, like, you found yourself aware of these things, particularly in, when you were a teenager. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like I kind of get the reasons why, but I just want to make sure that I definitely have it in mm-hmm. a distilled, kind of direct way. Do you feel like you were aware of these things as a teenager because you didn't really have a choice but to be aware of them? That aspect of, like, the change of tide of, like, what mm. you wanted to be proactive and Nail on the head, definitely. Yeah. yeah, because bearing in mind, we left when I was 12 for mm-hmm. a couple of years. And we were one of two mixed-race families in my whole town. And, uh, funnily enough, one of the kids in that family is also a musician now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, because um, art is such a great tool to get straight to the, the root of everything. You know, it's a mirror that you hold up to society and it's a great tool for that. So, when we came back, the whole landscape had changed ethnically. And there was a lot of Brazilian people, like there's, you know, a lot of Eastern Europeans. Like, so, Ireland's makeup. Um, because it's had an identity that is strongly rooted in its racial um, in its racial purity um, because of certain reasons you know yeah. that's that's n- that doesn't come from nowhere so I understand that um, but also I know that in my mother's generation it wasn't as easy as it is it is for me now yeah. and the time of like Phil Lennett from Thin Lizzy and um, uh, you know they're mixed race people in the middle of the 20th century in Ireland did not have an easy time 
and they were largely often given up for adoption um, among many other children who also were so it was a very different landscape so I'm also aware of that and that's why I can say that I wanted to be part of the conversation now because I c uh, it's it's an easier time and I want to make the most of that yeah well that's really important you know I want to make sure I ask this as um respectfully as possible mm -hmm. but tell me um it's clear to me that it's important that your cultural roots apart from Ireland, like specifically your family from Sierra Le mm -hmm. Leone, uh, is very prevalent within your artistry. I'd love to hear you talk about that, specifically the way Sierra Leone and its culture has inspired you, because I feel like that overtness, the fact that it showcases such a beautiful way, I'd love to hear kind of like the thought and like the feeling behind it. Mm. Hmm. Um, living there and learning Creole, um, has meant that sometimes I think in Creole really? and yeah my sister and I and my, my siblings will sometimes just say stuff in Creole um, to each other <laughs> you know which is fun yeah it's yeah. great and my dad to my dad you know talk to my dad in Creole as well and he's my dad's so funny in Creole he's just it's hilarious <laughs> so it's really funny like very in Creole you say like that is sweet something is sweet like it's really delicious to, to talk to say or yeah. stuff. so that was the first access point just being able because you know when you're stream of consciousness in lyrics and um, sometimes they'll come out in Creole because that's just what the thought that I'm having mm -hmm. and so I you know I sometimes self-edit and go that it's not going to work to have Creole in there but in sometimes I don't, and so in for example in nothing there's a a, a kind of a post chorus that goes flow you empty, like flow just let yourself empty out you know and that I couldn't have said that in English it just didn't make sense, yeah. um but I wanted to get thing across so for me that is just me being myself, but I think it, it's interesting because I've noticed um in in Reese actually in in the last little while I've had some kind of maybe negative comments about my sort of very overt her display of heritage which is really interesting to me because negative i'm like comments from where just like just random people online yeah oh. and like nobody's but um it's like that's really funny because i'm like wow this is challenging for people because they're not used to seeing what it re is really like this is new like, yeah this is new you know like you when when you see a blues singer singing the blues and dressing up like a blues man are you going to, do you say to them, you're milking the heritage of the blues? <laughs> like that doesn't even occur to you yeah. because you're so used to it. But that's what's so funny because my initial reaction hearing that, that someone have a negative reaction of your own artistry, that right away makes me think like, okay, is this a person that goes and kind of has opinions of everyone's artistry? Because it's yeah. like, you couldn't have it just one way or just saying it to you and then not to like anyone else. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think it, it's, the the what I, the way I understand it is that because it, it's not just it's been from a couple of places and um, someone else was like you know you're more Irish than you seem than you make yourself out to be and I'm like no I am Irish like I this is what I am as an Irish person yeah. I'm a Sierra Leonean Irish person and this is I'm telling you that this is what it is this is what it's like yeah. this is what it sounds like in my head this is what it looks like this is what it feels like. Yeah. So they're like, no, <laughs> they're like really kind of upset because there's no box to put this. There's no precedent. So, you know, myself, my siblings and this new generation of like multicultural children who've yeah. grown up with all these influences, which look very different to each other. You know, we've all grown up with American influences, like let's face it. But that doesn't that's not called milking. You're not milking yeah. American heritage if you do american stuff because we just see that as being the, 
the norm yeah. but to be very much presenting something that isn't the dominant um norm is seen as like straight still kind of strange and exotic yeah. um so and it, that's fine you have a very level-headed kind of like approach and reaction to that because i think it'd be very easy to like kind of take that negative viewpoint and be kind of inward or kind of like upset by it but mm. like i really love the fact that you've reacted to it in that way well, like, initially it always hurts because you're like, ow, <laughs> you know, <laughs> my feelings. <laughs> I'm like, nice. yeah, ow. <laughs> Ouchie. <laughs> Mama. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> They're bullying me. <laughs> it's just like fourth class. But um, but then I'm like, hey, now, come on. So, cause it be- and the reason that I can have this measured approach directly after I allow myself two minutes of, of, pay- of inner child pain yeah. is because I have done so much excavating, like we talked about earlier in the conversation, excavating my own processes and understanding them on a wider cultural level. Yeah. So it's like reading a lot of great books and you know i'm reading if bill street could talk at the moment and oh, stuff, for example man. you know and there's really great like cultural excavation that where the politic political meets the personal yeah. so i can understand i i can step back and go this person's having a really intense reaction because this exoticism is kind of upsetting to them and they it doesn't make sense and they don't understand them they obviously don't like the music enough to get it so that's fine yeah they can have that reaction over there but that doesn't mean that i shouldn't be what i am no exactly yeah uh, before I let you go, and you know, thanks so much for your time. I'm really My glad pleasure. we got to do this talk. Yeah. Um, you know, last weekend you made an Instagram post about Black History Month. Yeah. And I especially love how you ended it that self love is our only option. Yeah. Um, talk to me a bit more about that because it's one thing to have that on a post and a caption, but I do think that's one of those things that if you have the chance to articulate, especially out into the world, that it could do a lot of good. Yes, so interestingly, that post was sort of in response to what I've been talking about, where I was getting a couple of um, kind of comments from different different places. And um, the reality is, and I talked about this to my, with my sister, um, I'm going to give you a really stark example. So when I was in college, um, I, I was hit in the face by somebody. Wow. for, And I know why he, di- he did it. Um, a, a guy hit me in the face. Um, which is like the dark, the dark part of me finds it slapstick comedy, and that's the Irish part of me that is, finds everything funny, and that is so inappropriate to find funny. Well, not to jump into your story, but one of the greatest quotes I've ever heard in regards to Irish people is that Irish people have an amazing precedent for being disrespectful towards everything, <laughs> <laughs> which I think yeah, I know. is so it's true, like... and I love very much. <laughs> Like if any, like no matter how serious it is, like I'm laughing at myself getting hit in the face because I think it's so funny. So just from an abstract point of view, it's really slapstick. Yeah. Like it was so funny. <laughs> like I get, yeah. Um, but obviously, like it wasn't funny in the moment oh, it was yeah, happening. It was thing. really really dark thing, and so I was like, it, there was it was very clear what was that. It was it was purely a racist thing. There was yeah. no it's there's no mystery as to why that happened um and so for for what i was trying to explain in that post is like this is real so my i don't have a choice someone else said you know you shouldn't play the race card so often i was like i don't know what you mean like i the race card is strapped to my face yeah exactly it's not like i get to choose i can't turn it off i can't turn the black off (laughs) just just go out in the street and wear a white suit like come on so i like and i 
I, I feel myself to be one thing, which is like a, a sort of an Irish person that's, that's also mixed. But if, I, if my father, for example, was, was French and no one could tell that I wasn't purely Irish, the conversation would never arise. But my entire life I've been asked, where are you originally from? And I always respond with Maynooth, County Kildare. And most of the time, I'm not allowed to give that answer without qualifying why I am of colour. I'm not allowed, like the, the general public, and it's mostly an innocent curiosity, and that's fine. Yeah. But the fact is, the world makes my heritage its, its business. So I could either spend my life trying to ignore and deny that and tell the world that it shouldn't, or I could go forth and be proud of it and and cultivate it and integrate it and make the most of it and milk it thank you very much because th why not it is who i am anyway and when some when you're in a position where someone will literally hit you in the face because they just don't like the look of you um when you've done nothing wrong nothing to incite this violence i'm i'm thinking what am i supposed to do here do i hate do i hate myself do should i do i agree with this person and feel that should i feel i deserve this should I um, try and do my best to fit in, to fit in, quote unquote, um, or normalize whatever that means? Or should I bleach my skin? Should I, should I try and take drastic action to undermine the way that I look in the world where looking this way has a lot of negative connotations? Or should I go look in the mirror and say, I love myself and it's okay. And no one's going to tell me who I am or who I am and, and what I deserve to be proud about or not deserve to be proud of. And I'm just in this body. I'm just here. I'm living this life. I can't leave this body without a drastic <laughs> form of action. I'm trapped for now. I like being here. I love living. And I'm going to be proud of being black. And I'm going to be proud of being half Irish. And, it's, and in the face of literally violence, that's what I'm talking about. And I don't talk about these things in mostly on Instagram or whatever, because I just sometimes feel it's a ch challenging medium to deliver intense information. Like a the message. Yeah. Yes. But that people don't maybe realize how serious it can be. You know, there's loads of experience, lots of screaming at me in the streets, like, you know, the word and lots of different things like that. And so I made a conscious choice that the world will have its relationship to what I look like and who I am it's important for me to have my own relationship that's really healthy with it so that no matter what's happening outside I'm good in here and that's why self-love came as a as a healing tool yeah you know it really does hit home to me a lot of what you just said especially like you know me being black and spending a lot of time in Ireland and also in the UK and like in my formative years and it's interesting like being both in the UK and the US as a yeah. child because what's very interesting is that like obviously racism is very prevalent in the states and it's like every corner especially as a child as well but in the uk and europe and not so much ireland when i was a kid but i reckon it's there as well is that like it's funny being made aware that you're black but not overtly it just like really subversive ways and i feel like something i've always struggled with and i'm sure it's something a lot of black people in these places can um uh, relate to is that 
it's a very tiring and frustrating thing being reminded that your skin color happens to be something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a weird thing. It's kind of like, hey, did you know you're black? Yeah. Yeah. I, know, yeah. <laughs> I had some idea. Am I? Oh my god. Yeah. Thanks but for that's, that's what me. really feels beautiful the way you just put it because that ownership of it, it's something that I think a lot of black people, no, fuck it, I guess all of us, you kind of have to arrive to at some point. It's not something that's very innate. It's something you have to kind of like reconcile with internally. Yeah, because we're, we're still so close to, frankly, just in slavery. We're just still feeling the effects of it um, and the narrative in the world and um, all of all of how that's affected worldwide and, and, and deeper rooted just try kind of problems of tribalism in the world in general so it's it's real and yeah. we have to interact with with ourselves and, and make sure we're good and yeah. fine. do you like killer mike from killer the Jewels? oh yeah yeah, yeah. He's great. So, something that he says that I, I mean he says a lot of things but one of the things that i love that he says and he's talking about in the context of the states because he's uh very vocal about being pro-black and how he loves being black yeah. and run the jewels obviously have a, like a lot of white fans yeah so sometimes when like different white people talk about the race card thing his response is like you know if you think about the context of american history yeah. black people have really only been free since the late 60s shut the fuck up yeah <laughs> like, shut the fuck up i know give me a break yeah it's like, like slavery really ended in the late 60s and it's one of those things where it's like some people hear that and they kind of like get stuffy or whatever but like if you think about the historical significance and context yeah. it's like it's, argue against it yeah it's not been a long time yeah. and and the fact is it shouldn't in an irish context that shouldn't really translate but it does because we're so influenced by american culture and yeah. the world over and especially in the english-speaking world so it's important to develop our own microcultures and um, wherever we are and I think that's Ireland is great. Ireland is, you know, it's a very different context. But you do have to be aware of it because we're picking up stuff from from outside that exactly. doesn't serve us, you know. Yeah, and mm. it's. I mean, you mentioned it too. I mean, just. I mean, the last time I was in Dublin was back in October, and like, I did notice a change there. With, I mean, I've been going since '09, mm. and I do feel like I've still been noticing a change there. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, that's such a. That would be that ten year period, and the thing is, it's amazing because it's meant that like there's so much understanding and appreciation and openness in a way that there never has been like my career in ireland has just been amazing considering i never could have expected to be on other voices and um singing at the at president's house i was in oris on Uchtaran, you know and yeah. on women's day it was such an honor and i was singing in shabro like i actually went afterwards i went home and i had a little cry about that because yeah. i was like this is really really a uh, wonderful time to be in Ireland when when the structures the power structures are also getting on board with this kind of reframing of our of our cultural narrative and yeah. wanting to like spin everything in together and let's look at right let's roll them off and and go with it so you I, I I'm aware of these negativities in the in a wider context of positivity and yeah. um, but but all all the same it's it's on me to make sure that I'm good with myself I can't leave it up to anyone else yeah exactly Oh, thanks so much for chatting today. My I pleasure. Really, yeah. It's I been really so great. Yeah, thank you. Kick it with the weight of my own dream. It was not right. It was not fair. You made it your business not to care. I do not think that you remember or indeed you ever will. Us who bear you.